0: and media Scott them. it's only been two weeks since uh, telcos are required to hold on to their customer metadata for at least two years, these uh, changes to our federal policies on metadata uh, storage and retention, and already there has been this scandal with the Australian Federal Police admitting to a metadata breach, uh, which occurred after a journalist's phone call to a police officer. It sort of almost reads like something out of a spy movie, looking at these articles today, reading about this. what What is the significance of this? Uh, AFP uh, breach, firstly, and and how is it connected to any potential changes to our metadata policy?
1: I think it's significant in a couple of ways. The government made a big deal when this law was being passed in 2015 with the support of the Labor Party that they'd introduced this thing called a journalist information warrant. So before they introduced that um, into the Telecommunications Interception and Access Act, it was actually legal for the police, federal police or, or dozens of agencies to look up um, a particular journalist, find their phone number, access their call records, find out where they were when they made calls. It's really quite detailed personal information and that they could do that without a warrant. So when uh, George Brandis, the Attorney General, introduced the mandatory data retention law, which said we're going to apply that incredibly loose access regime to a vastly larger amount of material, i.e., forcing telcos to keep two years' worth of all this stuff, um, there was a, a kind of a late, um, a late outcry by media organizations seeking to project journalists, not the rest of us, which is a bit unfortunate, but just journalists, so that you would have to get a certain kind of warrant if you wanted to access that material. And so the story that broke open on Friday was the Fed saying, well, uh, these officers didn't realise that that was the law, they didn't know they had to do that, they were ignorant of, of their own law, their own act, and um, they had access to this journalists' call records. So for me, I guess the scandal is twofold. Firstly, that the AFP broke the law, and apparently all they need to do to make that right is call a press conference. Um, secondly, that um, this journalist information warrant part of the law is clearly not worth the paper to print it on. And it should remind us that those protections don't apply to anybody else. They don't apply to politicians, diplomats, um, police officers for that matter, or, or you and me, the rest of us. And I think it's a, it's a sign that these laws were a mistake in the first place.
0: Certainly. Now, I guess for a lot of folks, the uh, the laws have sort of slipped under the radar, to use a bit of a pun in that regard. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are perhaps confused as to what are the, what is the significance and ramifications for them personally in terms of their own civil liberties and, and privacy. Uh, the government has said, well, you know, under the law or the mandatory scheme, they'll not be allowed to use any metadata in civil legal proceedings. However, it, it seems quite vague in terms of what this metadata can be used for and accessed by, uh, you know, which which departments can access it. Is, it. is this part of the problem, the, the fact that it's, it is such a broad, uh, I, I guess, vague kind of policy?
1: Yeah, it's It's incredibly vague to the degree that the um, telecommunications providers ha- are still arguing that they are not certain what it is that the agenda, Attorney General's department is demanding they, um, that they trap and store. I think there's three separate domains in which it's problematic. Firstly, that this material... Is being collected in the first place. Like just oceans of data every every time you use your phone um, to send any kind of communication, it's uh, recording the location of where you were when you did that, and that material is being stored. All of your that, that means you can create a very fine-grained map of your social network, who you hang out with, who you talk to, where you were when you're communicating with people. So that's the first problem. The second problem is the Vast number of agencies that can access it, and of course, the so called protections that were put into the laws by the government are being completely circumvented. And the third problem is the access regime itself. There's no gravity of conduct, there's, no, there's nothing that um, requires you to be investigating certain kinds of serious offence before you can access material. So, in terms of what this means for ordinary people, I'd argue even if you're not a journalist that we all have a stake in journalists being able to talk to whistleblowers, being able to talk to people on Manus Island or being able to talk to whoever they damn well please in order to put stories together. Um, I think we all have a stake in that whether we're journalists or not. But if you're involved in things that the government potentially doesn't like, like if you're involved in advocacy, if you uh, volunteer with Sea Shepherd or with climate change organisations or anybody else challenging um, official government lines, then, you know, it's kind of open season on your telecommunications material. I think that's incredibly problematic.
0: We are speaking to Greens Senator Scott Lotham, and you're listening to the Indy Media Show on RTRFM 92.1. Media. Now, Edwin Snowden told The Guardian back in uh, 2016 that uh, police and developed democracies don't pore over journalists' private activities to hunt down confidential sources, and that the uh, Australian Federal Police are defending such operations as perfectly legal, but that's really the problem, isn't it? That something sometimes the scandal is not what law is broken, but what the law allows. Uh, of course, Snowden and, and, and others uh, have been really intrinsic to this new age of uh, whistleblowing and, uh, and that sort of thing. Is do you think that's really at the heart of these laws? I mean, ideologically, that it, it's it's not just that there there is a political agenda. It's about deterring people from being whistleblowers, deterring people from being activists, deterring uh, journalists from really getting uh, you know hard hitting stories that are critical of the government.
1: I think it's a huge part of the problem ideologically that we're all being treated as suspects. That these um, these provisions don't simply apply to people who may be. Um, accused or under suspicion of being a national security threat or being involved in organised crime or serious corruption. It's a blanket thrown over all of society, and the access is all happening without a warrant. This is all warrantless access. And I think um, Ed Snowden is spot on. Sometimes the scandal isn't the law being broken. So on Friday, we've got a very clear example of that. The law was broken. Journalist records were accessed without a warrant being sought. Um, but the, the fact is if they'd gone through this somewhat meaningless piece of paperwork, the law would have been perfectly fine with them hacking a journalist's phone trying to find out who they've been talking to um, about a, an issue that might have been of enormous public policy concern. We know for a fact that because there are no serious whistleblower protections for public servants um, who, who might be reporting illegalities at the heart of our immigration detention system, for example that that department has been an absolute hotspot of referring um, matters to the federal police when they see stories in the media that they don't like to try and bring down the person who's simply telling the truth. And that, that goes way deeper than particular clauses in telecommunications laws. That tells you something about the character of the government itself and, and the fact that, that these powers are perfectly legal.
0: Just finally and very quickly, Scott. Now, of course, we can't go into uh, you know great detail as to what people can do for their own digital security. But do you think that this calls on us to be uh, more vigilant in terms of our security, both uh, individually, but then in collectives or uh, you know any projects we're involved in? Do you think that this is uh, now really uh, sort of throwing back to us to be, I guess, less lazy in terms of uh, you know w- what we do and, and how we organize?
1: It definitely does, and I don't want to let politicians or policymakers or government off the hook. Uh, I I think we you know we deserve to live in a society where we don't need to protect ourselves against these powerful institutions that are writing the, their own laws. Um, but unfortunately, we've still got a way to go. So I think on the one hand we've got a we've got to work really hard, and that's part of our job, having a foot in the parliament to reform these laws and protect people at that legal level. But uh, for the time being, it is open season uh, on on campaigners and the kind of people who listen to your show. And so we've hosted some pretty successful crypto parties in the past. Don't wait for somebody else to organize one of those. If you know people with some technical competency, um, organize to get together over a couple of years, listen to music and learn a bit about about protecting ourselves and the people that we work with. Some of it is as simple as having effective password management. Some of it is as simple as having... Um, some properly encrypted apps on your phone and and understanding a little bit what the threats are depending on the kind of work that you're doing and and who you think might be looking at your stuff. And all of these things raise the cost of surveillance. So if the NSA is coming after you, then you need to be as smart as Edward Snowden to protect yourself. The fact is the the NSA is not coming after most of us. But raising the cost of mass surveillance, I think, is, is tremendously important. That's part of the value of encryption.